Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. I have a question for you, and it's very important. It may determine whether we continue our friendship or not. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> out already. What's up? I'm candy not good at popcorn. Yes or no wanna... to candy corn. I can't I can't answer this question for you. Why? I'm not because too many friendships are ruined over <laughs> candy corn. <gasps> I will no. not ruin a friendship over candy corn. I won't do it. Won't do it, Shelly. That is not fair. <laughs> I love you too much. It will not ruin our friendship for candy corn. You mean colored wax? <laughs> Very sugary colored wax. I mean, they do add sugar yeah. into it. They're gross. But now I know where you stand. <laughs> do you? Do you? Jeez. Okay. Did you see this study that came out about it's this is funny because we were just talking about the NICU, um, how parental support improves the brain development of premature infants? I didn't see that study. That's not fantastic. So they divided the families into like two groups. There was like a ex, there was like a pilot program called the Family Nurture Intervention. And the families went through that program for six weeks and then they compared the baby's brain development to the babies whose parents didn't go through that program. And basically the brain development was much better. That's interesting. Yeah. There is a, I don't know if I've told you about this group. There's a group called Support Rose, which is reaching our sisters everywhere. So it's for BIPOC folks primarily. However, they have a program going on right now for NICU families. It's called the Breast Friend Project. Hmm. I don't know if you, if you follow them at all or know anything about it, but it's basically partnering up people who have had babies in the NICU and went on to successfully breastfeed with families that have babies in the NICU to help support them through the process. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Kind of goes hand in hand, right? Right. I like it. It's like a little peer support and, and also a little family education. Yeah. It's really cool. We had a similar program at the hospital we worked at where it was a, um, it was a grant for NAS parents, babies yeah. and families, where they had a mom come in who had, had become sober and then breastfed children after becoming sober yeah and she would come and talk to the moms who are going through treatment programs and trying to get sober and breastfeeding yeah that's all very similar yeah 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 and and they liked it so much that when even after the grant was finished they hired her oh fantastic yeah good for her which is great talk about turning your life around good for her yeah right (laughs) so i will put a link to that city in the show notes And next we should do our question of the week. (laughs) This week's question was submitted through Instagram. And the question is, can I eat chocolate while breastfeeding? I am worried about the caffeine. Oh, you can eat chocolate while you're breastfeeding. Yes. And in fact, (laughs) uh, dark chocolate is actually good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely don't want to eat large quantities of it, but I wouldn't worry about the caffeine so much as I would worry about the sugar, especially if you prefer milk chocolate or white chocolate, which is white chocolate, basically just sugar. The sugar is probably not, is going to be worse for you than the actual caffeine. Yep. I agree. So yes, please enjoy your chocolate. And if you eat dark chocolate before pumping, it helps with milk flow. And next we are speaking with our guest. She is Yasmin from Mindful Sleep, and she's going to talk about um, sleep deprivation and mental health. Ooh, I should listen to that one. So I'm really excited about this week's guest because I think she is going to talk 
about a topic that speaks to all of us with young kids and babies, um, and that is sleep deprivation and mental health. So Yasmin is a certified pediatric sleep consultant in the Metro Detroit area and the founder of Mindful Sleep Consulting and co-author of the ebook, The Postpartum Mental Health Guide. She believes the whole family is healthier and happier when everyone can get restorative sleep they need. Of course, exactly. She utilizes a one-on-one holistic approach, working alongside parents to help teach their baby or toddler to sleep better. She's passionate about bringing sleep back for parents after her experience with sleep deprivation following the birth of her second son. She has an innate ability to guide and encourage mothers to reconnect with themselves postpartum. Yasmin is also a strong advocate for maternal mental health, advocating for moms in all stages of their motherhood journey to prioritize their need for their family's health. Hi, Yasmin. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for jumping on today and talking to us about this important topic. So sleep deprivation and mental health, it's sleep deprivation can be rough as someone who had experienced that a lot. Um, But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Yasmin Johnston. I'm a pediatric sleep consultant. Um, I'm a mom of two boys and I'm located in Michigan in the Metro Detroit area. And I started becoming a sleep consultant after going through my own struggles with sleep deprivation. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because it's incredibly important and it's something that kind of just gets pushed to the wayside a lot as part of something that just comes along with motherhood. And I think that it really, really needs to be talked about a lot more. Mm-hmm. How old are your boys now? They are six and a half and three. Oh, those so. are fun ages. They're not <laughs> like a-holes yet, right? Oh, <laughs> oh no, they are. <laughs> They're a different kind of a-hole than like the teenagers that I have in my house. <laughs> they, they totally are. Um, my youngest has learned the F word, which wasn't for me. Really? Because my kids learned it from me. (laughs) (laughs) I try to do my best, like to not, you know, say that around them because when they do hear a bad word, they don't ever stop using it. So Mm -hmm. now, now it's like a regular part of its vocabulary. And I'm just like, how do I get you to stop? Like, and they'll just (laughs) like, mom, you're an effing. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) thanks. I always taught my kids like words are words, don't give them more power than they really have, but also like know your audience. Maybe when you're around grandma, don't drop the (laughs) F-bomb. Maybe think that one through. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember my second, she's such like a straight edge kid that if I put on a song with a swear in it, she'd be like, mommy, mommy, he said the F word, change the station, change the song. I'm like, really kid? Are you even my kid? Are you even my kid? <laughs> oh man, I wish mine were that like that instead of you know <laughs> dropping f bombs in the grocery store. <laughs> it makes grocery shopping interesting. Oh yeah, I, I get a lot of interesting looks when I'm going through the grocery store with my three year old. <laughs> I like what you had said about it being an important topic that's often just kind of like swept under the rug, and part of that is is. You know, in my experience, everyone knows that newborns do not sleep through the night, right? Right. And most parents are aware of this when they go into pregnancy and into having their baby, but you don't really know. Like you think, you know, before you have kids, you think, you know, what sleep deprivation is like. And of course, like with, this is the exception of all like the night workers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Those people truly know sleep deprivation as well, but you think, you know, but then when you're in it, you were like, oh, I didn't know. I did not know. Yeah. You're like, oh, you know, when I was in college, I could party until six o'clock and then sleep until like nine and then get up and go to class. And I was Mm. fine, but it's like, you've got the energy and the motivation and you have the ability to, you know, go home and take a nap in between classes. Whereas when you're a parent, you don't really have that ability, especially if you have other children at home, like older children. Mm -hmm. When I went through this, I had a three-year-old at home plus my baby who wasn't sleeping. And it's like, no, you, you don't get that break. You don't get that nap time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with my first, I would say, I mean, I had babies really young too. She was, I had just turned 21 when my first was born Mm -hmm. and I was a stay at home mom. So I think she, they were the easiest where, you know, cause I didn't have any other kids to look after. So I could sleep in in the morning where I would just pull them in the bed with me and, you know, we'd hang out in the bed and I'd doze off and rest or whatever. 
But, you know, when you've got a toddler to chase around, you can't exactly sleep when the baby sleeps or, you know, sleep in longer in the morning. That's where you can really struggle. Although I will say it wasn't until I had my third that I knew, you know, I was very young. I had my first two were very, very easy babies. Um, In fact, they both started sleeping through the night at four weeks old. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so and- amazing. <laughs> Like I you're making remember. every mom jealous right now. Well, here's the thing. When they were six months old, they started waking up again and they didn't sleep again through the night until they were like two years old. So it did come oh. back and bite me in the butt. And the thing was, because I was so young and I had so little experience in life in general, I remember being like so smug and thinking, why is everybody complaining about this parenting thing? This is like easy. It's easy. And then my third came along and he had a lot of like reflux issues and colic and he would cry from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. every night for like three months. And that's when I was like, I had this totally wrong. I can't believe how like smug and arrogant I was. (laughs) Like I needed that wake up call because it definitely changed the way I view parenting and parents and the struggles that we have. Yeah, it's. And it's crazy too, how much it can differ from child to child within the same family. Mm-hmm. Like you said, your first two were, you know, much easier in the beginning. And then it was your third that really threw you for that loop. For me, my first one, he was like my unicorn baby. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He, sl- I followed, um, baby wise, you know, my, my sister said, Hey, try baby wise. This is what I used. It's amazing. So I did that and he took to it so well and, you know, he fed great. He never had any feeding issues, um, slept through, you know, we were on like a good kind of schedule through the night and he'd get like one or two feeds and Mm -hmm. then, you know, go right back to sleep. And then by the time I went back to work, he was sleeping through the night and it was like, this is easy. Like four months sleep regression. No, I can do that again. I can have another baby. (laughs) And he just... Oh, he was so, so good. And then number two came along and it was like, <laughs> what you thought you knew, just, mm-hmm. just throw that all out the window. <laughs> Baby wise isn't going to work for me. I'm going to have colic and reflux and torticollis and plagiocephaly. And we're just going to have a, a whole dump truck worth of troubles. And Everything I'm not going to sleep. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> a la carte menu. Yeah. I'll have one of everything. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can have all easy kids. I think that every parent, you know, there's always that one baby that they're (laughs) like, Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) It makes you appreciate how hard, how much work parenting is. Yeah. You're the one here to keep me in check. Yeah. And I remember my mom saying that to me when I was pregnant with my third, she's like, you know, you had two easy babies. You are due, you are due for a difficult baby. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's fine. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. I know. Like I am like a seasoned mom. No, no clue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's a real problem because it can really impact your mental health. Do you want to talk a little bit about how, how it can impact mental health? Yeah. Um, so I can like kind of share my story about how it impacted me and then, you know, dive into that a little further. Um, so like I said, with my first never had any struggles, so never had any, um, you know, concerns with my mental health. I was on cloud nine rocking the mom thing, had it all under control. And then when my second came along, he was waking up anywhere from like, gosh, five to like eight times a night. And so I would get about one to three hours of broken up sleep each night. And this lasted for about five months. And there was one day where my husband were standing in the kitchen in the morning. My husband looks at me and he goes, you look dead. And I'm just like, thanks honey. (laughs) (laughs) I just got this very serious look on my face and looked at him and I just screamed. That's because I feel dead. And I like ran upstairs and started crying. And he's like, thankfully (laughs) something kicked in. And he was just like, um, he called in sick to work, came upstairs and he's like, okay, I'm not going to work today. I called off. What do you need? I'm like, I need some sleep. Like I freaking need some sleep. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, I I've got the kids. Like you just stay up here and rest. And, and then that's when I said like, 
we need to hire a sleep consultant. Like we'd been told about one, but we didn't hire her because, you know, didn't want to spend the money, thought we could fix it on our own. And mm-hmm. um, I was like, we need to hire her. Like, I cannot do this anymore. And, and things had been kind of building up where I was realizing that my mental health was struggling, but I was almost afraid to admit it to myself because I wanted to be that mom who just had it all together. And, you know, I was noticing that I was just like, I was sad. I didn't have motivation to like do things with my children. Mm-hmm. And then I was noticing there was one day my husband took the boys with him to go get an oil change, like 10 minutes down the road. And he was like, okay, you go ahead and nap. I'll take the boys. Then he calls me and says, yeah, they said it's going to be about three hours. So are you able to come and get the kids? Mm. I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I drove up there and I was so exhausted and I'm driving back home again, 10 minute drive. I had the windows down, AC blasting, the music up. I'm like hitting myself in the face because I was so afraid that I was going to fall asleep on the car ride home. I didn't feel like I could handle 10 minutes in the, in the car with my children and that drive safely. And that's when I realized, okay, like I, I've been getting more and more anxious and depressive symptoms, like just that whole lack of sleep was really doing me in with my mental health. Mm. And, you know, after going through my struggles with that, I really started diving into more of the research and figuring out just how much that sleep deprivation can impact your mental health. Hmm. Um, and I mean, it's, it's amazing There, you know, there's a million studies out there, but they're saying that probably 10% or less parents get the sleep that they need. Hmm. So after you have baby, you're getting, you're not getting that seven to nine hours that you need, or you're not getting it consecutively. It's completely broken up little increments. And, and that has a massive impact. And it's not just on mom either. You know, that when mom is struggling with her mental health, it also affects everyone else in the family. Mm -hmm. It affects dad, it affects other children, it affects, you know, the baby, you know, it's just got this like snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people really, really realize that until they're in the thick of it. Right. Yeah. Physical and mental impacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when, so I, I have had sleep issues in the past and I'm doing much better now. I'm getting, you know, at least six and a half, seven hours of sleep at night. But you know, when I got pregnant with my first, I was young and I was working, like I was going to school full time and I was working two jobs. So I'd work at a barn in the morning where I had my horse get there at 4 a.m you know, oh the, yeah, feed and turn out <laughs> and clean the 20 horses stalls. And then I'd go to class and then I'd go to a waitressing job at night. So I was probably consistently running at like four hours of sleep or less a night. And, you know, like you said, when you're young, you, you don't feel, you feel invincible and you're like, I don't need that much sleep and it's yeah. fine. But then I got pregnant. It was like a week, not even a week after I had the positive pregnancy test. So I hadn't even seen like my OB or anything. It was very early on in the pregnancy. And I was driving home from my nighttime job and I was literally not even a five minutes away from my home. Like I was on my street and I had been doing what you said, you know, the whole time I'm going home, I'm like hitting myself in the face, got the AC up, got the radio blaring. And I could see my house from where the crash scene, because I fell asleep and I went through three guard posts and I hit a a tree. Oh my God. And the tree actually kept me from going into the lake. There's the lake. That's so scary. But I could see my house from the accident. Like that's how close to home I was. Yeah. And you know, I was pregnant. So it was this huge, like scary time. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to change. And, you know, I sold my horse, quit that job. And, and now I'm getting consistently, you know, much better sleep, but for a long time. And then when my kids were older, you know, my husband would work the night shift and I'd work daytime. So we never saw each other. So I got into the habit of like waiting up for him to come home so I could see him. So I was waiting, you know, I was staying up to like midnight and then waking up at four Mm -hmm. and I started having all these health issues that I couldn't quite explain. And I worked with like a nutritionist and she's like, it's because you're not getting enough sleep. This is why you're stressed. This is why you're like gaining weight and not able to lose it. This is, you know, 
if you don't get enough sleep, your hormones get go off balance and that impacts your body in many ways. And I knew that there had been, you know, I always knew that there had been like mental impacts of not getting enough sleep, but I didn't realize that there were so many physical impacts of not getting enough sleep as well. It affects everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it affects, you know, physical, mental, your relationships, just everything. It's, it has such an impact. And I, I think that we just, we can push through and, and we'll catch up on sleep later, but what they're finding is that it can take like a long time to catch up an hour of lost sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have notes right in front of me, but I, I think it's like for one hour of lost sleep, it can take four days Mm -hmm. to catch up. I'd have to look that up to be a hundred percent sure. But so think about it. If you lose, you know, four hours of sleep, it could take you upwards of 16 days to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, And I think we all experience that, right? With the time change, you know, when the clock change goes forward or back or, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're jet lagged, so you lose an hour because you're crossing time zone. It's, you know, I just got back from a trip to Costa Rica and we ended up um, getting stuck in the airport overnight because we missed our flight and I cannot sleep on an airport floor. I can't. No. So I just didn't get any <laughs> sleep. And it took like a full week after being back before I finally felt like I had recovered from that jet lag and that, that lost sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a long time and, and you have to get the right amount of sleep mm-hmm. in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So if you lose one hour, one night, and then the next night, you know, you still don't get your full normal hours or whatever it is that your body needs, then you're still lacking that sleep. Like you're still not caught up. On that. You're, you're even deeper in the red mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a cumulative is, effect. Why does this happen? Like, do you know what happens to us when we sleep? Like, what is the purpose of sleep? What happens to our brains? What happens to our body? You know, it's funny. Cause there's things that say like, oh, well, we actually have no idea why we sleep. Like, why do we need this? But if you think about it, when you're going through the day and you're go, 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 you're just worn out. Your body needs that time to rest, to rejuvenate, to restore, you know, and to fight, you know, to fight germs or anything that you may have picked up along the way throughout the day. Like your body just needs that time to take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And if it's not getting enough time and not, you know, getting enough of a break, like a mental break from everything, <laughs> then you're just going to struggling and it's just going to continue with decreasing your mental health, physical health, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even things that we don't think about like memory formation, Yeah, you know, that's, that happens in our sleep. That's when our brain forms and stores our memories. So that's, you know, if you, if you're not getting enough sleep, you feel groggy and you have a hard time remembering things. And there's a reason why that happens. And then, like you said, like the immune system, retarded immune system. Yeah, and exactly. A lot of countries have actually categorized the overnight shift as a carcinogen. Like I believe it's Norway or Sweden actually did mm-hmm. like a government payout to government employees who work the overnight shift. Wow. As a recognition, like you having to work this shift has drastically increased your risk of getting cancer. And so we're going to try to compensate for you for taking that risk because you can't just like have no night shift workers, right? They're essential. Right. Um, at least not in the way that our society is structured, but you know, if, if an official body of government is sitting, is sitting there saying like, we have looked at all this research and we have determined that, you know, not getting enough sleep is actually a risk and a carcinogen. And that's pretty serious. That should send a clear message. hundred percent, hundred percent. And even, you know, other societies where they have a siesta in the day, mm-hmm. like yeah. they know the importance of taking that midday break letting your body rest for a little bit and then mm-hmm. continuing on. Yeah. And instead of know, the hustle culture that we, have. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of our culture, which is no, you need to get up at 5am mm-hmm. and squeeze in me time, go work out, get all the kids things ready for school and daycare and whatever, get yourself ready for work, go work your eight hour day, come home, make a home meal, homemade mm-hmm. meal from scratch, make sure it's organic and, uh, and then, you know, <laughs> do all the things with the kids. I remember and, making organic mac and cheese just so I could feel better. About that. <laughs> now I'm just like, oh, craft. Yeah. Craft is good enough. 
Um, plus it tastes better, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's like, it's just go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've been trying to work on with myself is like, no, it's okay. Like there, we had a day last weekend, Saturday, it was beautiful outside. We did things in the morning and then we came back home. Kids were playing outside. My husband, I think was doing yard work. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not going to go, go, go right now. I'm not going to do things just because I have that time. And I feel like I have to, I'm going to sit here on the couch and just relax because I need that. We need that. Even if, even if we aren't getting that sleep, we need that rest time for Mm -hmm. our bodies, for our mental health, just to catch a break. You know, there's just, yeah. Yeah, we're not even getting like wakeful periods of rest. We're just on the go constantly. Mm-hmm. And I have it's a lot so of families hard. that I work with that are kind of like, they ask me like, this seems like a huge evolutionary fail for us as a species to need a certain amount of sleep and then give birth to young that don't let us get that sleep. <laughs> and I always have to remind them like, okay, we sleep the way that we sleep because we live in like industrialized nations, right? But it's not, that's not how it used to be. We also, we used to sleep in villages where there was, you know, on average about eight adults helping to take care of one baby, right? And then you, you worked until the sun went down and then you went to sleep and they actually would wake up overnight for like an hour and get some stuff done and then go back to sleep. And then when the sun came up, they, it's, I don't think people, I think it helps to reframe the issue as you are not sleep deprived because you have a baby that needs that needs to wake up and eat. You are sleep deprived because you live in a society that doesn't support that baby's need to wake up, to feed overnight, or to have their diaper changed. It's not so much your your baby's sleep pattern that's so much of an issue. It's more of like the society that we live in that isn't structured for families in general. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, new moms aren't getting of the support that they need. Like Mm. dads, if they're even lucky enough to get any paternal leave, it's one week, two weeks. I remember when I had my first didn't have paternal leave and the company he was working for actually told him that if he wanted time off after I had the baby, that he needed to use his vacation time. And, and I was, I mean, I was livid that they didn't have any sort of policy in place. And so the funny part is because there was no policy in place, they just told whatever they wanted to each employee. So we had a friend who, um, his wife had an emergency C-section, which mind you, I did too. So he was just better on better terms with the person who did there and he ended up getting an entire month off of work. And didn't have to use vacation time. And then there was me. I was in the hospital for five or six days, had an emergency C-section, couldn't lift my baby. He was a nine pound, four ounce baby. I was told that I shouldn't be lifting him because he was too much for me. And my husband had to go back to work. I think he got to be home with us for a week. Mm -hmm. And then his first day back at work, he had to be there at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you know, we're, we're failing moms by not having good support systems in place, you know, not having proper paternity leave for the fathers, not having adequate maternity leaves for the moms. And because, you know, babies aren't sleeping through the night by six weeks, Mm -hmm. unless they're your first two, but (laughs) (laughs) like, Things just, you know, it takes a long time to get them sleeping through the night and every baby is so different. And it puts so much pressure on us to live in a society where we have to have two incomes now. And, you know, and then you have to go back to work after six weeks or eight weeks and your baby's still waking up multiple times tonight. And yet you're expected to perform and there's so much pressure and, you know, no wonder why we're even more sleep deprived because we have to stay up late doing all the things and we have to wake up earlier to do all the things to get ready for work and, and not having a good support system. It's just, it's crushing. It's absolutely crushing for families and it leads to, you know, just burnout and the mental health struggles and marriage problems and oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's even worse when COVID hit because Mm -hmm. what little support systems families did have went away. You you couldn't have your parents come over and spend the night so that they could do a night shift. You couldn't have like, you know, a night nanny come and you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it wasn't recommended, but also like a lot of families didn't want to do that because they were afraid of exposing their baby to COVID or other germs. Mm -hmm. So what little support systems they had were were gone and it was awful. And I will say that this past year, I live in Massachusetts and we did have a state law passed where, um, you know, I think it's... um, 12 to 16 weeks of parental leave uh, for both mom and dad. And the difference that I have seen in the families that I work with where, you know, it used to be like, you know, people come see me because they they have a lot of feeding struggles and they're doing a lot of work to try to get feeding back on track to their feeding goals. Clearly the, the breastfeeding parent needs some help, but the dad would be like, well, I'm going back to work tomorrow. You know, my baby's one week old versus now when they're like, oh, I've got the next three months off. So I can definitely help with this. And it's just like the relief on their face. And they're so happy. They're like, wow, I get, I get this much time off so I can help, you know, my partner with the feeding issues that they're having. And I don't have to, you know, especially when they're doing things like triple feeding and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a lot of work and you need someone around to help you with that. You know, we're, we we're not meant to raise babies on our own. No, definitely not. And I just, I feel like society keeps pushing harder and harder to put all the pressures of, you know, the baby care on moms mm-hmm. And making it so that we have to push aside all of our own needs. You know, we don't, we can't have these dreams of working this or doing that, having, you know, running our own businesses or traveling or anything, or even just seeing a girlfriend for lunch and pushing aside our, our mental health and our sleep needs all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's no wonder that there's been such an increase in mental health issues with mm-hmm. moms, especially in that first year postpartum. Yeah. I think it's 46% of yeah. moms now in the U S have some sort of postpartum mood disorder. I think social media has made it a hundred times worse mm-hmm. um, because you know, you're already feeling trapped and sleep deprived and overwhelmed. And then social media is telling you, you should be getting up at 5am to get in that workout, <laughs> have your cup of coffee and your all white house. That's perfectly clean. And then, you know, your baby wakes up and sleeping overnight, you know, and it's like, that's not the reality. No, that's not a reality for most parents. And it might not even be the reality for that, that person that you're watching on Instagram, you know, Mm -hmm. not everyone is, is honest on social media. You're you're being shown what they want you to see. They want you to think that their life is absolutely perfect, that they're super happy and, and really the likelihood of them having the same struggles as you is exceptionally high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But the, the message is if I can do this, you should be able to do this too. And if you can't, you're failing or something's yeah. wrong with you or, you know, whatnot. You're not and a good mom. Yeah. 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 It's, it's hard. It's really hard. I, you know, while there are many benefits of social media, that is one of the severe downfalls And I think a big contributing factor to why new moms are struggling so much when they're just seeing all of these perfectly curated homes and feeds and happy moms that I've got four children, but I get up every day and I have a full face of makeup and my hair is perfectly done. And, you know, like, like I said with you today, I got to postpone this interview time because yeah, I haven't washed my hair in a couple of days. I think I got <laughs> makeup on from, I don't know, Sunday. <laughs> yeah. If it makes you like, feel better, I woke up and I was like, I should definitely wash my hair today, but that's not going to happen. And it's like, whatever it is, but it is. Well, it doesn't even look bad. Mine was like next level. I, yeah. Like, okay. I need details to... and braids can hide a lot as you know. <laughs> Mine's usually up in a messy bun about mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time because yep. there's just no time to actually do things mm-hmm. to take care of myself, to make me feel pretty yeah. <laughs> throughout the day, you know? Yeah. But and a lot of times, you know, going back to the social media, if if I'm working with a family and I, I get this a lot, well, you know, I saw on Instagram, this, this person posted like 180 ounces in their freezer of, of breast milk or, you know, their baby, my neighbor's baby sleeps through the night and, and, you know, they're only a week apart age difference from my baby. 
what I usually tell them, like, I don't think I'm not saying to give up social media because I don't think that that's possible for a lot of people in, in, in our day and age. Right. But if you're scrolling through TikTok and you're following someone that makes you feel bad about yourself, that's probably not their intention. Like, I'm not even talking about like jerks on social media, but if you've got someone who's always posting pictures of their super clean, super nice, you know, nursery, and they're always, you know, full face of makeup, like you said, and that makes you feel bad about yourself, you need to unfollow that account. You need Mm -hmm. to get that person off of your feet because this is something that I did you know, after therapy, I was told to do this by my therapist where if I scroll and I see someone, like I follow a lot of fitness accounts because I do a lot of CrossFit, but if I'm following a fitness person on Instagram and they are not making me feel good about myself, I'm going to unfollow them now. Yep. I just went through a massive unfollowing you know, when you, especially like with a business account, you first initially get that account and you're like, I want to follow everyone. Cause I want everyone to know about my business and mm-hmm. I want to make connections and, and all of that. So I had been following so many accounts and found that, you know, a lot of them weren't making me feel very good about myself. And, um, I went through massive unfollowing, gosh, I think last week I unfollowed probably 400 accounts. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Like I'd love to get it down to, you know, maybe only a hundred accounts that I'm Mm -hmm. following, like specific, you know, postpartum support professionals, um, and just leave it at that because yeah, I found that, you know, I was following these moms that I felt like, oh yeah, um, they, they have some great tips or I love their little play hacks or, you know, things like that. And then started noticing, gosh, everything on their account is just perfectly curated. And here I am feeling crappy about my house that hasn't had trim on the walls for over a year now. (laughs) That's just on the main floor. It's been over three years for the upstairs. So, you know, and and I'm just feeling bad about it and like unfinished projects around my house. And I'm looking at these other gorgeous homes and Mm. I'm like, okay, I don't need this in my life because this is not good for my mental health. And Mm -hmm. I don't need to sit here and feel bad about the home that I'm living in with my family that I'm raising my children in when they could give two craps, what color the walls are. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it sometimes it's hidden. Like I used to follow a lot of those ASMR restocking accounts where like restock with my fridge with me or restock my coffee station with me. And I used to enjoy watching them, but then I'd be like, I don't have like a coffee corner. I don't have all these nice label containers. Mm-hmm. And I started to unfollow them because I'm like, this is making me feel like crap about my house. Like this morning I was a few minutes logging on. I think we ended up getting on the same time, but I was panicking because our bathroom doorknobs broken. And if you close the door oh. all the way, you get trapped in there. And I forgot and closed the bathroom door. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't get out. And I'm banging on the door. Thank goodness my husband was home. So he managed <laughs> to like get me out. But I was like... Yeah, I ha- I have these issues with my home right now, and I don't need to feel worse about my home by following all these perfect houses. So, no, I was gonna say, and then with the sleep, you know, we don't need to feel worse about our sleep or what is going on with our babies because mm-hmm. we see somebody else, whether it's on social media or we hear about our friends, cousins, neighbors' baby who's the same age and they're sleeping through the night and not having any struggles, and it's tough when you hear these things, but you know, that saying, what is it like comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. It's so true. You know, Mm -hmm. regardless of like the curated homes, it's so true when it comes to our children as well, because then you sit there and think, oh my gosh, our babies are the same age. What's wrong with my baby? Nothing's wrong with your baby. You know, they're, they're still learning. You're Mm -hmm. still learning and everybody's so different. And it's so much better for us to take that energy and that focus off of everybody else's babies and put it on ourselves and think, how can we make our situation better? Right. We're not getting the sleep that we need. I'm feeling it mentally, physically everywhere. I can feel this sleep deprivation really taking me over. What can I do to improve my situation? Mm -hmm. So having open communication with your partner, Mm -hmm. right? Having that communication is so key talking to them saying, 
I know that your job is important and you need rest, but we need to figure something out because my job being home and keeping our child alive is also important. Mm-hmm. Or if you're already back to work, you know, you've got two full-time jobs there. And so mapping out a plan to help yourself get some of that sleep that you need so that you're not constantly in this state of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the families that I work with, I, we work out like, okay, what's, what's dad's schedule? What's your schedule? Okay. So-and-so is going to bed at this time and they get to sleep uninterrupted until this time. And then from, you know, this time to the next time till morning, they're on call while you get that uninterrupted sleep mm-hmm. or, you know, having dad navigate night wakings and mom navigates the feeds, like mm-hmm. having that balance so that each of you is at least getting some of that sleep that you need. Yeah. Cause that's so important. Yeah. And I love working with families prenatally on this. Like if I, with, when I'm teaching one of my prenatal classes or I'm doing a prenatal consult, like everyone writes up a birth plan, mm-hmm. but I also want you to write up a sleep plan. Okay. Where are you going to sleep? Where's your baby going to sleep? Who could, because a lot of times you go in with assumptions, you don't have that honest and open communication with your partner and you go in with certain assumptions. Like sometimes the birthing parent will be like, well, of course, of course he's going to help me with night feedings. He's the parent too. But then the other parent could be thinking, well, I have to work and you're staying home. So I'm not planning on getting up at night. And you don't want to find out that you have those two different perspectives at 2 a.m., your first night home from the, that is not a good time to all of a sudden figure out, oh, you're expecting to sleep through the night and not help me with this. That is not a good time to have it. So right. if you come up with a sleep plan before the baby is born, and that just makes it very clear what both of your expectations are around nighttime parenting and sleep. And it's going to make things a lot easier for you as a couple and as a family. Absolutely. Yeah. Working out that plan. It's not just, we, like you said, we do so much prepping for the birth, but we don't do any prepping for after for that postpartum period. And we just feel like, oh yeah, we'll get this. We'll just wing it. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, well, oh, crap, this isn't <laughs> winging too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm winging nothing here. Yeah. Having that, you know, making that sleep plan prenatally is a massive help or and whether or not it's just you and your partner navigating sleep, having that discussion to be like, okay, what can we afford? What can we do? Can we, can we afford to hire a, a postpartum doula to come in and help us out a couple of nights a week so that we can each get some good sleep? Or can we afford to hire a nanny to come in during the day so that mom can catch a break? you know, anything like that, that can help make that transition a little bit easier so that you're still getting that rest that you need, or at least sometimes getting that rest that you need. Yeah. And I think it's important to connect with those resources in your community because, you know, a lot of families aren't aware, you know, maybe they, they look at postpartum doulas, for example, and it's out of their budget, but there are, are a lot of postpartum doulas in training who will do, um, who will provide services at a, drastically reduced costs because they need to have a certain number of clients under their belt to certify. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they should get paid at least something, you know, they should get paid to at least compensate like gas and whatever, cause their time is valuable, even though they're not fully certified, but that is a great way. If having a, like a fully experienced overnight doula is not in your budget, you know, you can have a doula in training come in and, you know, cause let's, let's be real. Like most of the time overnight, care. It's like baby wakes up, you change their diaper, you feed them and you put them. So it's not like you need someone like super experienced to do that. Right. You're just looking for support, but making those connections in your community, you know, if you, if you're working with a childbirth educator, an IBCLC, um, those are usually good providers who know about the doulas in the area who are working towards certification, who might be willing to do, you know, a reduced fee. So even if you're just looking and you're like, no, I cannot afford this night nanny. I cannot afford this night doula. It's out of my budget. Don't give up because there are other options out there. And then of course, seeing a sleep consultant too, to, you know, rule out any issues that might be going on. Um, and getting some other ideas for support of how you can get more sleep despite your baby waking up. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, like I have a, a newborn sleep guide, that's a free resource for new parents so that you can at least have 
something to refer back to for some of the basics of when it comes to newborn sleep, navigating those wake windows, navigating, you know, is my baby hungry or are they just waking up for, you know, out of habit, learning these things to help get you into a rhythm and start building those healthy sleep habits so that your child does hopefully start sleeping through the night sooner. Mm-hmm things like that. There's so many free resources out there. Or like you said, the discounted, uh, postpartum doula. I mean, that's amazing. I wish I had known about that because <laughs> I could have used one. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just having that discussion with your partner, of who's responsible for what during the night or taking those shifts throughout the night, or even reaching out to friends and family, you know, oftentimes friends and family will say, let me know how I can help. And then we don't ever say anything because we're like, well, I don't want to ask for help, mm-hmm. but actually asking for the help because it's yeah. okay to ask for help. You don't have to be the person who handles everything. Mm-hmm. You can ask for that help and say, you know, say to your best friend, Hey, oh my gosh, this has been a rough week. If you have a day this week or a night this week where you could come over and like help with the baby, I would so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then they know they've got a job right? They say, oh yeah, I can do that. I can come help you with that. Or I can come, you know, tell them, please come over on Saturday for like three hours so I can take a nap Mm -hmm. and just, you know, take the baby for a walk, take him to the park, whatever, so that you can catch that little bit of a break. And just knowing it's, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. If you're struggling, we all are, Mm -hmm. it's hard and there's nothing wrong with you because you're struggling. Mm-hmm. And we all just want every mom to feel her best and actually be able to enjoy that postpartum period without stressing over the sleep deprivation yeah. or doing all the things. Mm-hmm. 100%. And there are little things that some families don't think about, like little tricks that I've learned over the years that may not necessarily get me more sleep, but make me feel like I got more sleep. (laughs) Like I always told myself, you know, I would, the baby would wake up, their father would pick them up, change their diaper, bring the baby to me in the bed. I would nurse the baby in the bed, hand them back to their dad. Their dad would settle them down and put them back in the bassinet. So I told myself, if my feet do not touch the floor, I slept through the night. And it's just a mind game. Right. Yeah. It's just the mind game. But the fact is like not having to get out of the bed and put my feet on the cold floor and move around made it much easier for me to fall back asleep much quicker when I was yes. done. And I, and I share that with parents, like, you know, parents who are formula feeding, keep a cooler or, you know, a little mini fridge in your room, have everything in your room. Because if you don't have to go downstairs, if you don't have to walk down the stairs to the kitchen and you're turning all the lights on, you're waking your brain up, you're breaking your body. You know, it's, if you can do that all in your room and like, like a low nightlight enough where you can see by, you're going to fall back asleep a lot easier than if you like completely wake yourself up by turning on the lights, opening the cold fridge, you know, trying to same thing with breastfeeding, especially if you're pumping overnight, you know, have all the, have the pump parts next to you in the bed, have a cooler and an ice pack. So you could just throw the the milk that you pumped and the pump parts in the cooler, you don't even have to go downstairs and put it in the fridge. And usually when I first recommend this, the families, they're like, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll try it. And then the next time I see them, they're like, I cannot believe what a difference that has made. Just not having to walk down to the kitchen has made like a huge difference in how much rest I feel I'm getting. So it's all these like little tricks and tips that, you know, a sleep consultant can give you or someone else that you're working with that can make it a little bit easier for you. Yeah. And that knowledge, that education is, it's invaluable because like you Mm -hmm. said, you, you don't think about it until you actually do it. And you're like, wow, that made such an amazing difference. You know, my, my husband's a pilot, so he'd be gone for like three or four nights out of the week. And the nights that he was home where, cause I would have him do that. Um, if the baby woke up, I wasn't getting out of bed. Yeah. He would go and get the baby. I loved your face when you said that, by the way, you were like, <laughs> nope, not getting it. out of bed. Don't even care that the yeah. baby is literally one foot away from me. Don't exactly. even care. All right. You can get up and get the baby, mm-hmm. go change his diaper bring him to me. I'll feed him. And then you get to burp him and you get to re-swaddle him and put him back in that bassinet. 
because those couple of extra minutes where you're not being super stimulated, where you're not moving around has such an impact and makes it so that you can fall asleep so much faster. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's one of my favorite tips for families is that, you know, having your partner do those steps because on the nights when he'd be gone, oh my gosh, the next morning, like when I had to do all the things, I noticed a big difference in how I felt physically and what I was able to do and how I was able to keep up with my kids throughout the day because those little steps, you know, it takes takes a lot out of you. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it. It's just a couple minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. But it makes a big difference. And sometimes I'd fall asleep before their father had even finished settling them yeah. down and like <laughs> lay them back around the basinette. Mm-hmm. What other strategies do you usually recommend for families? Um, so yeah, the, the, having the dad do the diaper changes and the resettling is a big one. Um, another one is doing those shifts. So making it so that each parent gets an uninterrupted four to six hours of sleep, which I know it seems hard in the beginning to be like, okay, well, parent a, you're going to bed at seven o'clock or eight o'clock. And they're like, I can't do that. But it's like, no, you, you kind of need to. So taking that shift from, you know, eight until one, and then having the other parent do a shift from one until, you know, 8am the next morning, so that each of you gets that uninterrupted sleep. Now that may mean that you temporarily sleep in separate bedrooms. Mm -hmm. um, Because we all know it's kind of (laughs) hard to fall, to fall back asleep or stay asleep when you've got a crying baby right next to you. So you can, you know, keep the baby in one room and then you guys can switch in the middle of the night. Or if you have the space, you know, you have a guest room, then one of you can take the guest room and then the other one takes um, the main room where the baby is and then switch over that way. And the newborn families that I work with that do that method they're like, okay, I felt weird about doing that at first, but it's made such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the mom's sleeping in the other room and the dad brings the baby in whenever the baby needs a feed. Mm-hmm. Um, those can really impact how well mom is able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I know that they say sleep when the baby sleeps. And that's such a hard. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, sleep when the baby sleeps, but the baby doesn't sleep. So or you've got a toddler. So you or can't. you've got a toddler. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I love just suggesting like the laziest of activities, mm-hmm. um, you know, with your toddler, right. Play games where you can literally lay on the floor. Like, Hey, I'm a, a mountain scene drive yeah. your cars on my back. You know, that's mm-hmm. how I used to get my little back massages when, when my kids were younger. <laughs> I, I couldn't leave to go get a professional massage. So I just had them use their monster trucks on my back. Mm. And hey, it was nice. I didn't have to physically get up, right? But they were still having fun and we were interacting together. Um, so, and then knowing, also having it in your mind that you don't have to do all those things. It's okay if the dishes don't get done. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like take that break that you need. If your baby is actually sleeping for 10 minutes, go lay down. You know, even if you don't sleep, go let yes. yourself have that break. Yeah. Rest because, your brain. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep your phone away from you. Mm-hmm. Right. Keep any of that stimulation away from you and just sit there and do nothing because you deserve that time. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's so hard when you're not sleeping. And if your baby who, if they're not a great napper yet, which is fine and normal, but if they give you a few minutes of reprieve, take that time to just sit there and do nothing and, you know, relax for yourself. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. I remember I, with my oldest, but she was mobile. She was, she had just started crawling. Mm-hmm. I was having the hardest time getting her to take naps. Cause you know, she had just started crawling. So why would she want to nap when she can crawl <laughs> around and get, and yeah. what I ended up doing out of desperation was completely childproofing her room. And we had like a mattress on the floor and I laid down with her and tried to get her to nap, but oftentimes I would just fall asleep, <laughs> but it was okay because the, you know, there was a gate up. She couldn't get out of the room. The room was completely safe and she would just kind of crawl around and play for a little bit. And eventually she'd crawl over to me and lay down next to me and fall asleep. Aww. <laughs> and that was like, 
you know, I probably wasn't my first choice strategy, but in the end, it's what I needed to do to get a little bit of sleep and it worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You find your, your own little hacks for what Mm -hmm. works for your family. You know, when we finally did get my youngest sleeping pretty decently with my oldest, of course he gave up naps two months before the baby was born. So that was great. I had this whole vision in my head that oh, I'll get them like on the same schedule and I'll have this little block during the day where I can just do me. Oh, I love your, your optimism though. <laughs> yeah, I was very optimistic <laughs> or naive, whichever, whichever way you want to go. So yeah, my, my older one wasn't napping and I needed to find a way to get at least a little bit of a rest. So, you know, sometimes you just got to let the screen time come in mm-hmm. or give them you know, some sort of activity that they, that, you know, is special to them that they're going to be fully involved in that they don't really need your help with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was, that was good for me. Like I could set my oldest up with some magnetiles or give him, you know, a special movie to watch. And then I could just lay there and doze off and, you know, he was safe. He was right there next to me the entire time, baby gates, all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the shift, the taking shifts, like you described, that's very big in my area too. I've noticed Mm -hmm. like a lot of the parents that I work with do this. And this is something that I also counsel the mom when we're working on feeding issues. You know, if you're, if you're breastfeeding, then pumping and bottle feeding, if you're doing the triple feeding, please don't do that at night. Mm -hmm. Just pump and bottle feed and go back to bed. Safe day time for practicing breastfeeding. Yeah. But like whatever you need to do to just get through the night, do, you know, Mm-hmm. You don't have to like stick to this perfect ideal plan 24 seven. No, there's that 80, 20 rule, right? Yeah. <laughs> and even in this case with the feeding and nights, like, yeah, just scratch that third part. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, like you said, just do the the pumping in the bottle and work on the breastfeeding in, during the daytime hours. Mm-hmm. And I love all the strategies that you suggested. Where can families find you if they want to connect with you, get some more strategies from you, <laughs> tailored more specifically to them, that sort of thing? Yeah, um, they can find me at my website as mindfulsleepconsulting.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at mindful underscore sleep. Uh, I've got a variety of different one-on-one support options available for each age. I work th- uh, with children ages zero through five. So, you know, even if mom is still pregnant and you're wanting to work together prenatally um, and having that plan in place after the baby comes, we can do that as well. Definitely prenatally. I encourage all parents like <laughs> because it's just nice if you're struggling with feeding too. I always connect with an IBCLC before baby arrives because yes. you do not want to be trying to Google who's in your area at 2 a.m. When you're crying and overwhelmed mm-hmm. and sleep deprived, you know, already have that connection with that provider, whether it's sleep consultant, IBCLC, that you already have a relationship with them. You already have trust established with them. They already know your goals. It's just going to make it a lot easier. Put it on your baby registry. That's yes. what I tell families. Like you can put me on your baby registry, mm-hmm. you know, instead of focusing on all of the cutesy little baby toys and outfits, mm-hmm. put the thing on, <laughs> right? <laughs> the 50,000 burp cloths, really? Because <laughs> that's what you're going to end up with. Yeah. You know, put the things on your registry that are really going to have an impact on that postpartum period. So putting an IBCLC on there, putting a sleep consultant on there, you know, helpful books for the postpartum period, things like that. Um, I just co-authored an ebook on postpartum mental health, and you can actually add it to your baby list registry. And it's so helpful. It's me and three other postpartum professionals talking about, you know, mental health in the postpartum period and how, like what to look out for, how to improve it, what to do if you're struggling. Of course, my section, I'm talking about sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. and the impacts on mental health. And, you know, it's, even if you don't have your partner read any of the other parts of this book, having them read about that sleep section so that they can have an idea of what you guys are about to go through so that you aren't just going into it. Like, Oh yeah, we got this. Like sleep deprivation is real. It sucks. Let's have a plan. And is that book linked on your website or your Instagram? Yes. It's in my Instagram bio and it's also on my website. And I love your Instagram account. Like it's so fun. (laughs) 
Thank you. So I will link to all of those in the show notes so people can connect with you. And I really appreciate you jumping on with me this morning, despite having a really hectic morning, you still made it. That's impressive. Yes. And you getting locked in the bathroom. I'm so glad my husband was home because I'm like, I don't know what to do if he's not home. Right. No, thank you so much for having me today. It's been really fun talking with you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.